you know, a big part of this movie not being a documentary is is to reach that broader audience so that in the public discourse this can be some be something that is at the front of people's minds when we're talking about um, you know, health and wellness. That's Zoe Lister Jones along with Daryl Ween, and this is the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. What's up, Podcast Landia? What is the news, people? Welcome to the show. I am your host on today's Fantastic Voyage. My name is Rich Roll. I am an ultra endurance athlete. I write books. I husband my wife. I raise kids, four of them, in fact, plus two dogs. But mostly, at least these days, it seems, I podcast. That's right. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, I mean that. I really, really do. This is the show where I deep dive with the paradigm-shifting outliers, the big forward thinkers across all categories of positive seismic culture change, fitness, nutrition, academia, tech, consciousness, and spirituality. Don't be afraid, people. And in the case of today's episode, filmmaking, the goal is simple, to help all of us unlock and unleash our best, most authentic selves. Good for you, good for me, good for humanity, right? Today on the show, I am thrilled to have the divine Zoe Lister-Jones and her quite charismatic husband, Daryl Ween. They are the married filmmaking dynamic duo behind a new narrative feature film coming soon to a theater near you called Consumed, uh, which is a really interesting drama that boldly tackles the quite controversial and uh, quite incendiary subject of genetically modified foods, GMOs. Uh, I got a whole bunch more I want to say on all this before we get into the interview itself, but first. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that 
it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made. And that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fairtrade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic Fairtrade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on birch for about five years. And I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive. And the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care especially because, unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you, I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. All right, today's show. So I met Zoe and Daryl, must have been about two years ago, a year and a half ago, perhaps. It was at a dinner party, and it was just before they began shooting the film Consumed, that is the subject of today's show. And uh, I vividly recall that night making them promise to come on the podcast when the film was complete to tell us all about it. And well, today is that day. Uh, They're a lovely and quite dynamic and hyper-creative married filmmaking couple who are definitely on the rise. With They've got a variety of very cool projects in development all over town. Uh, it's worth mentioning that you very well may know Zoe from numerous roles in movies like Salt and State of Play and TV shows like New Girl, Whitney, and The Good Wife. She currently has a starring role in Life in Pieces. It's the new CBS sitcom where she plays Colin Hanks' wife alongside Diane Wiest. But taking it back, 
Daryl and Zoe met in 2002 when they were both students at NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. That's NYU's film theater and acting department. Uh, And at South by Southwest in 2009, they launched their careers with their award-winning low-budget debut feature, which was called Breaking Upwards. It was this comedic look at their own personal experiment with an open relationship. Uh, It's a film that they wrote, produced, and starred in together uh, that Daryl directed. And then in 2012, they followed that up with their second feature, Lola Verses. It was a film they did for Fox Searchlight, uh, which was also a relationship comedy, also directed by Daryl. And that film starred Greta Gerwig, uh, who's kind of, if you're not familiar with her, she's sort of a New York indie film darling. You might have seen her in movies like Francis Ha, uh, Greenberg. She was also in Joe Swanberg's LOL. Uh, that film, uh, Lola Verses, also starred Joel Kinnaman. You know him from Robocop and The Killing. And of course, Zoe. Uh, And that film premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. And these two projects together made a bit of a splash and kind of established Daryl and Zoe with quite a bit of New York indie film cred. Uh, The New York Times actually dubbed them Brooklyn's answer to the classic Hollywood power couple. Essentially, they became this fresh new voice on the New York filmmaking landscape uh, alongside generational peers, people like Lena Dunham. And the logical career move for them would have been to stay in New York City, further cultivate their very New York sensibility, and continue to make relationship comedies, carving out careers in the vein of Woody Allen and uh, Noah Baumbach. But that's not what they did. Uh, Instead, they up and moved to L.A. and decided to make this complex, intricate, independently financed drama about the world of GMOs. Bam. How about that, right? That's pretty ballsy. Uh, So there are plenty of documentaries on the subject of GMOs. Genetic Roulette, GMO-OMG, and The World of Monsanto are just a few that spring to mind, and they're all worth checking out. But Consumed is the first treatment of this subject matter in dramatic narrative form, which is a very cool thing. Uh, The film is in the vein of films like Silkwood and Aaron Brockovich and the political thrillers of the 70s, movies like Three Days of the Condor and All the President's Men. It's a very taut drama that involves a series of intermingled storylines, kind of like if you've seen uh, Traffic or Syriana, the movies that Stephen Gagan has written, uh, movies in which archetypal characters are ultimately on a crash course with each other. And in the case of Consumed, it all pivots around this one mother's investigation into her son's illness, uh, and that's a journey that ultimately leads her into this tangled world of genetically modified foods. Uh, Zoe and Daryl wrote the script together, Daryl directs it, and Zoe stars as the mom alongside this great cast that includes Danny Glover, who plays this beleaguered organic farmer, Griffin Dunn, who plays a discredited research scientist, Victor Garber, he plays the CEO of this big ag company, Uh, Anthony Edwards, Taylor Kinney, just a really great cast. And the film's really well done. It's, uh, what can I say, it's socially conscious, it's impactful, it's earnest, it's thoughtful, uh, it's entertaining, and it's certainly topical, but it's not a documentary. It doesn't presupposed to answer questions. It really just asks them. Uh, And that's because Daryl and Zoe are not scientists, nor do they play ones on film or on the internet. Neither do I. Uh, But they are very passionate and incredibly informed on the subject of GMO. Uh, I appreciate their perspective, uh, and I applaud their mission to introduce this subject matter to mainstream audiences. Uh, Why is this important? Well, let's look at the statistics. 
Right now, 54% of all Americans polled know little to nothing about GMOs, despite the fact that 80% of all processed foods currently contain GMOs. 64 countries across the globe mandate labeling, yet the USA still does not. And to date, there exists no long-term studies on the impact of GMO on human health. So this is an intriguing and, I believe, important conversation that canvasses pretty much every facet of the controversial GMO debate. What prompted Daryl and Zoe to make the movie, what they learned researching it and making it, the potential implications for human health and the environment, the socioeconomic impact on farmers and consumers, uh, regulatory oversight or lack thereof, uh, the legislative considerations around labeling initiatives, state and consumer rights to know. And we talk a lot about the DARK Act, uh, which is a bill that recently passed Congress and is currently pending before the Senate. It's this federal bill that would essentially make it illegal for states to pass mandatory labeling regulations and would actually prohibit states from banning or even regulating GMOs in any way whatsoever. So I'm a staunch supporter of mandatory labeling laws. But much like the movie, I don't support to have all that many answers when it comes to GMOs. But I do have questions. I've got a lot of them. So let's just get to the asking. Without further ado, it's my privilege, it's my honor to bring you Daryl Ween and Zoe Lister-Jones. Enjoy. All right, we're done taking selfies. Are you ready to actually do the podcast? <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and start. Hey, you guys. Hi. Thanks Hi. for uh, making the trip up to the house. It's always a pleasure to come to this beautiful house. Yeah, That's so right. good to see you guys. Uh, it's the day after Halloween, and I'm very anxious to hear about your Halloween because I have a feeling <laughs> you guys like do it up, like you do it right, right? Yeah, they we went do. Classic actor costume parties. We went, yeah, we went to a few good costume parties. Tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this one was kind of like a Mad Max kind of futuristic sci-fi type of themed party Uh at the Sportsman's Lodge in Studio City. There were lots of great costumes there. I saw someone dressed as a shower. Oh, the shower was good. But it was very, like, lonely, Uh you know, because he was, like, inside the shower curtain. Right. Yeah, there were a few so moments where I just like speak he, to anybody. He had the shower curtain closed in the middle of the party. <laughs> that's, a, that's actually a great way to go to a yeah, yeah. shower. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the antisocial party goer. Yeah, the the party we went to had amazing costumes. There was a a couple who was yin and yang, which was pretty uh-huh. great. Um, there was a a twister board. That's a twister. That's pretty cool. <laughs> which was great. There's there, always a few fifth elements uh-huh, in the mix. Right. There was like some the, Blade the, Runner. Because why not? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like for women, it's like how how can I look hot? Right. And it's like also. French mm-hmm. maids. Yeah. Playboy bunnies. Yeah. There were some Playboy bunnies. Why is it like that? I don't know. Like girls that are it's with guys that have what? boyfriends or and they're I'm, still I'm going to dress up for Halloween right. and be an aerobics instructor. It's an excuse. A lot of aerobics. To like channel your inner, you know. What I, I don't yeah. want to use the S word. <laughs> no, I wanted to wear no, my phone, we don't so ask me. Yeah, no, I think that more like we should get like more like scandalous male ha- Halloween attire, and like women should be going the other magic direction. Ween. Magic Ween. Magic Ween. <laughs> that would be. There was no I, magic mic reference I love magic anywhere mic. to be found. Um, no yeah, shame. it was it was pretty wild. There was a lot of like underwear, but well, you know, most guys can't live up to that. I know. You know what I mean? So I know. 
Not everybody's cheating. But you guys could. (laughs) Rich Rich could. You guys could. We went to this, uh, we went trick-or-treating in the Malibu Colony, which is this sort of gated, exclusive beach community down in Malibu. My friend went uh, there. It's pretty crazy. Like you have to be like on a list and there's like gar, it's like only in uh, another, like only in Los Angeles thing. They have like valet parking (laughs) to go trick or treating, (laughs) which is insane. But we have a friend who has a friend, so we could, we got in there, but the coolest part, it it is actually really cool. Once you get in there, everybody opens up their house and they outdo each other by making these haunted houses and it's all about the kids. And it actually was really fun and really cool. But the highlight was, um, at one house at the very end of the beach, they were the they South set up End. they set up an outdoor theater that you could with movie theater seats and they were screening The Shining no. so you could sit there awesome. and watch the movie and then you could walk this red carpet up into like a little outdoor um, like art studio foyer, and there was a uh, this guy who was carving pumpkins who I have to believe is the world's greatest pumpkin carver. Oh, I saw that on your Instagram. So, yeah, I posted yes. on that was Instagram amazing. that it, it looked like it was light projecting onto the pumpkin yeah. of, of Yoda. But it he actually amazing. carved that. He had like a Darth Vader one and so he had a cool. Chucky one and he was working there doing another one and you could watch him carve like this amazing artist. Like I've never seen anything like that. It was yeah, and the kids cool. asked Incredible. him. The kids asked him what he did and he said that um, he's an embalmer. So he actually he does, like a lot, he oh does a lot. He does a lot of reconstructive um, right, you know, processes right, right, on yeah. faces. But then he goes, but that's only my part-time job because what I really do is I'm a paleontologist. <laughs> and my kids were freaking what? out. They were that's like, amazing. what? Like, that's the coolest thing in the whole world. So that he was crazy. quite extraordinary. I mean, it was really, it was really something to see. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I knew his name. It's sort of tragic. <laughs> right. that we I didn't get a pumpkin name. this year, but uh, I think it was two years ago. Right when we moved to LA, I really wanted to have a pumpkin, and we found this. I found like this perfect round pumpkin, and uh, we put it out. And then I didn't want to throw it out because it looked so perfect, and so uh-huh. it just like sat in the sun for the next six months and just like rotted it's away. I just like, refused it was really to throw sad. it away. Well, because in New York, you know, like apartment living, like you don't put a pumpkin out. Like right. there's not that's just not part of. So once we had like a house here, we were like, oh my god, and we can put like a pumpkin out. And then we just refuse to like let the pumpkin go. It's like sunny and beautiful go. and like 75 degrees every day. So. Yeah, right. the pumpkin right, right, rotted. Right. It was sad. You know, I have to just say on the topic of ha- Halloween, I feel like, what do you guys do being health conscious mm. parents with the candy element? We don't have children, yeah, but like, I kind of feel induced. like this is like a really intense holiday for people who are concerned with... Well, with yeah, all of the sure. things well, we're concerned I, with. I, uh, in the, pa- the past two years, not this year, I had, the, um, I had a lot of inspiration. I, ha- I had an or- overwhelming amount of inspiration to um, create a plant-based Halloween. <laughs> yeah. And so I hosted two events here two, two years in a row, and I had so much resistance and so much, yeah. so even anger projected mm-hmm. at me for trying to create this. And, uh, so it it wasn't a big hit. I mean, we did one time we had like 70 people come, which was pretty cool. Um, but it took so much effort and I couldn't get anybody to join me. I tried to get other mothers to join me or a dietitian to join me and no one would do it. And I think it's because the tradition of going out in the Mm -hmm. night in the neighborhood is so strong and it, and it is really fun. And because we've been traveling with our book and I, I just don't have the bandwidth to like, you know, shepherd that whole thing. But I was kind of laughing at myself yesterday because being out in the neighborhoods, you know, with all the kids, I realized that I was, I was really sort of out of the box. I was quite out of the yeah. box trying to do that. 
So what we do is, um, you know, we, we let the kids go. Obviously they have a big bag of candy, but, um, there is an exchange. So, uh, we are, we've turned it into commerce. Um, we've sort we're sort of bribing them actually. (laughs) So, uh, they get like 25 cents for each piece of candy um, and then, you know, we buy it back from them. And That's then, amazing. But then what I'm do, what I am doing though, this, this year is we are going to go online this week and we're researching all of the big companies that make this candy. And we're seeing the environmental impact of what the companies are doing. So that is another step that I'm taking with the, with That's the younger cool. ones. Um, and you know, last night they, they had a blast. It was beautiful. And, you know, I'm glad we went, but it, it is an issue. I mean, it'd yeah. be great if we, if we had organic candy or healthy things. I mean, there is organic candy. It's just, it's, it's so rare. Yeah, I mean, not a lot of people are handing it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's having, we'll, we'll just bridge seamlessly into the topic of GMOs, but, um, you know, I mean, all of that candy is 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 chock full of GMOs of because it's it's all corn syrup. Right, so it's, everything that has high fructose corn syrup yeah. in it is basically GMO created. Yeah, which is a great perfect. Which is uh, your new movie, Consumed, which I enjoyed tremendously. Thank congratulations you. on yeah, congratulations, uh, you guys, on making this movie. I watched it for a second time today again, and I just I really like it. I mean, for people that are listening, I don't want to give away too much of it, but it's it's this beautiful kind of um, it's it's sort of in the mo- in the in the vein of traffic where you mm-hmm. have these intersecting stories uh, where these archetype characters you know are kind of headed on a crash course with each other. So mm-hmm. you want to just sort of what's your how do you describe the movie? It's a dramatic thriller set in the complex world of GMOs. It's anchored by a mother played by Zoe whose son gets a mysterious allergic reaction, and so she kind of is propelled on this journey to figure out what may be causing it. At the same time, we're following the CEO of a fictional biotech company who is making food that ostensibly is saving the world, and two scientists who are on the verge of a major discovery. And, and an uh, organic farmer mm-hmm. played by the one and only Danny Glover. Yeah, I know, you guys are great, <laughs> he was amazing. Great cast. Yeah. Yeah. Who's being bullied uh, by the... Biotech, biotech corporation yeah. uh, over patent infringement over genetically modified seeds. Right. So his his character is really he he walks a mile in the shoes of the the the, the farmer who's trying to be organic, but seeds from the genetically modified you know sort of not in your movie but in real life Monsanto seeds are blowing over into his fields, so his fields are contaminated, and then he gets embroiled in this controversy that ultimately destroys his ability to make a living. Right. Yeah, which is a very real issue with farmers mm-hmm. in this country that they are um, constantly being faced with these patent infringement lawsuits, which is something that uh, was unheard of up until uh, you know quite recently that that life could be patented and that mm-hmm. these seeds could be patented and and the the tradition of farmers for centuries has been to replant seeds and the thing about GMO seeds is that you can't replant them that you right. have to rebuy them every year from mm-hmm. from the the corporation. Yeah, you become kind of an indentured servant yeah. to the corporation so you have to rebuy and rebuy and rebuy. And yeah. You can't really ever break out of that. Yeah. Um well before we completely unpack uh the movie and GMOs, <laughs> I mean let's take a, a step back. You know, I'm interested in what inspired and motivated you guys to make this film because at least on a surface level um it seems like an unlikely kind of career maneuver for you guys because you kind of came up as these sort of New York, Brooklyn, <laughs> indie darling, you know, young, uh, enterprising filmmaking couple who 
uh, were making kind of relationship-oriented comedies in the sort of vein of Lena Dunham and, you know, mm-hmm. people like that. And, you don't think GMOs are comedies? <laughs> I mean, it's like, oh, there's a lot of comedy there. You know? A lot of comedy. Um, so it, it does seem, you know, interesting because I, I, I see you guys as very, even though you live here now and I know you embrace the L.A. lifestyle, we were talking about that mm-hmm. a little bit before the podcast, um, you have a very New York sensibility to your work and, and your kind of aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was raised in Brooklyn and Daryl was raised in, in Connecticut. So we're, we're East Coasters through and uh-huh. through. Um, you met at NYU. Yeah. We met at NYU. Yeah. in in acting school and, uh, yeah, our, our like foray into the filmmaking world, our, our first two narrative features were, were that sort of 20 something relationship mm-hmm. comedy, um, in the vein of, of Woody Allen. Right. Um, and, that, and, and we did come up with, with people like Lena and, and, um, uh, in that, that sort of crew. So it definitely is a a departure for us. I think we both felt, um, I think, well, actually we wrote a version of this script after our first film breaking upwards. Um, and so we then gave it to our agent and she was like, what are you doing? (laughs) She was like, put this on the shelf. Yeah. She was like, yeah, you're the next (laughs) Noah Bombach. Yeah. 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 I think like, you know, just being, like we were so excited about the, the, the possibility of, um, being able to make any genre that we wanted and we felt capable of, of exploring so many different genres that, um, we didn't really realize that, that the way you're supposed to brand yourself Mm -hmm. when you've made any sort of splash in the industry is to take advantage of, of that brand. So, um, we then made another relationship comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, and once we did that, we then, took a step back and, and thought, what's the story that we're, we're dying to tell right now? And we, we, we felt that we had lived in that space sufficiently and that we mm-hmm. didn't want to tell that story anymore and that this was a really important story to us that just kept gaining relevance and that we just felt like couldn't not, not be told at this moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, food has always been something that's been a big part of our lives as part of everybody's life. You have to <laughs> eat have, food in order to survive. Yes. We have been eating food our but whole Zoe life. But Zoe and I, the way we were, ra- we were raised completely differently when it, when it comes to what we were fed. And, and I, I had a lot of junk food around me growing up, a lot of sugar and, and snack food. And, and Zoe, I think, cut out sugar when she was like seven. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wasn't allowed sugar. Uh, she wasn't allowed sugar. Yeah. And she wow. was she was a much more uh, natural, you know, foods that were much more organic at that time. And, uh, and so when I met Zoe, it was like a collision of <laughs> different right. ideologies. And uh, she quickly rerouted. My me. ideology <laughs> won. <Yeah. laughs> she quickly subverted Good the, job, the track that I was on. What was yeah. the Thank strategy God. employed there? Uh, it's mostly fear-based. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> emotional. Shaming. Yeah, emotional shame. Right. Yeah, but so, uh, you know, I, it, we went to a lot of restaurants in the beginning of our relationship that I did not want to eat at. And I was like, why are we here? We have to explore other restaurants. Angelica's Kitchen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, if I eat another macrobiotic meal at <laughs> Wen, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> But the more and more I was eating that, the more I ate that food, I felt good about myself and I felt more uh, healthy. I just did. And anyway, so that that was a journey that we have been going on now for almost 12 years together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, uh, you know, we, around the time that we were 
began writing the first draft of this movie over seven years ago. God, it's been so long now. You know, we were talking about, you know, why this was so important to us because we all are eating this food and people don't even realize they're eating genetically modified food because mm -hmm. in this country it's not labeled as it is in 64 countries around the world. So that prompted us to start asking questions. You know, why is it not labeled in America? And why are all these other countries labeling it? Why haven't there been long-term studies done on it? And so we started reading articles and books about it, and that kind of is what ignited the passion for this subject. Was there any particular article or book that stood out as being kind of inciting to light yeah. the spark? There was an article in Vanity Fair called Harvest of Fear, I think. That really got into the um, bullying of farmers, which mm -hmm. I think was really, uh, that was a big inciting article for us in terms of the cinematic approach to, to the telling of the story because there were so many like noir elements and we couldn't, it, it, it seemed like you couldn't even write something right. um, that was th that dramatic and kind of had that thriller um, uh, vibe. So I think that we were like, well, this might be a movie. Mm -hmm. And there hadn't yet been a documentary on it. Um, now there have been a couple, but I think um, for us, the idea of, of making this into a narrative feature was really exciting because it has such a broader reach mm -hmm. um, that we could entertain audiences and then also kind of spark this conversation. Right. I mean, that must have been a conversation, though, because, you, Daryl, you've made a documentary before. so <laughs> Yeah, I made this been... documentary called Sex Positive, which explored the life of an S&M hustler, a gay S&M hustler named Richard Berkowitz in the early 1980s who was fighting for uh, gay rights and, for, and really promoting safe sex for the first time in this country's history at a time that was extremely divisive and mm -hmm. divided and controversial and nobody knew what was going on and the government there had kind of, there's this profound silence from the government about, about you know, how to protect yourself against STDs and and yeah, even though the condom, height of the AIDS epidemic, yeah, and even yeah. though condoms have been around since like Egyptian times, <laughs> they were always used as just a form of Birth contraception, control, yeah. right? And so, <clears throat> yeah, you see so, the guy who's behind Act Up, or one of the people who was behind that, or was that? Larry Larry Kramer, who is uh, also in the documentary. Um, yeah, there were a bunch of different groups working on it, but but Richard was more of uh, he he and his doctor, Doctor Joseph Sonneben, and this other activist named Michael Callan. The three of them were this kind of renegade triumvirate, uh, m more kind of independent minded, but based in a lot of fact and research about what was actually going mm -hmm. on. They wrote the first, arguably, safe sex manual in the history of the crisis. And Larry Kramer, um, who's kind of gotten a lot of attention recently, especially with the normal heart and, and, um, he's had a, a big comeback. He, he was promoting abstinence, right? And so, yeah, it was so there very was a confusing. big, uh, the different divide. gay leaders at that time were taking different approaches, you know? Yeah. Larry Kramer was saying, let's stop having sex. Mm -hmm. And at the that's the, of the best way to revolution. protect ourselves from this disease right now is to just not even come into contact with it. And then, you know, there was this the other extreme pro-sex, super pro-gay activists that were saying, no, we will continue to have sex and we don't need to wear condoms. Mm -hmm. And so Richard Berkowitz, who's the subject of the documentary, he was fighting for the middle ground, which is we can keep having sex. Let's just do it safely. Mm -hmm. But so that was the first documentary that right. it was my first film that just kind of fell in my lap because Zoe's mom happened to have known Richard for 
uh, decades and, and we met at a Passover Seder and he started talking to me about his S&M work in relation to the AIDS epidemic. Classic Seder discourse. Classic Seder you know. discussion. And uh, I was like, oh my God, that's fascinating and sounds really important. And I, I didn't learn anything about that when I was in school. They didn't teach that side of history mm -hmm. about the AIDS epidemic or what gay men and women were going through at that time. You know, as fully as it sounds like you, you know, have written about it and talked about it. And so I was like, this sounds really interesting. So that was my first kind of political, mm -hmm. you know, f piece of filmmaking. And, uh, and it was a, it was a celebrated doc, right? Like you won best documentary at Outfest. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people saw that movie. Yeah, so. it was great. It came out in theaters and played at the BFI in London and mm -hmm. film festivals around the world. We premiered at the South by Southwest Film Festival in 2008 and it was exciting and we made it on our own totally independently and Zoe was an associate producer on, uh -huh. on it and that was kind of the beginning of our was, professional yeah. collaboration. We had right. only been dating for a, a year and a years, half or yeah. something mm -hmm. and, and that was just about the time that we started to enter into an open relationship of uh -huh. sorts which was then the impetus to make our second, right. my my narrative debut film, Breaking Upwards. Right, mm -hmm. which made for a very interesting profile in the New York Times. <laughs> yeah. you guys. And that's almost like a whole other podcast. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to get too far in the yeah. weeds yeah. on that, totally. but uh, but yeah, it's cool. And so ever since then, you guys have really collaborated on on all your projects. I mean, mm -hmm. you have your acting stuff, mm -hmm. Zoe, of course, but um, but you know that's another aspect of, of your lives that I want to get into as well, like what it's like to work together and you know, this Mr. Lister banner, <laughs> which you guys operate. Um, but back to the movie for now, I mean, so given that, given your experience and having made a documentary, I mean, was there ever a moment where you thought maybe the GMO world would be a fitting subject for a documentary or was it always going to be a narrative approach? Absolutely. I mean, the, there needs to be even more documentaries. And now there's been a few. GMOMG came out about mm -hmm. it and uh, there's genetic the world. Genetic Roulette. Yeah, Genetic Roulette yeah. by Jeffrey Smith and mm -hmm. The World According to Monsanto. There's, there's a few documentaries out there, and I think there can be even more. I mean, there's so many layers to this topic. The and research that oh, we've been doing now for, you know, seven years, but we, we continue to do. Like today, just in, in anticipation of this podcast, we were just like, you know, reviewing articles that we had read and they just each article you you read sparks some question that you're like wait I got to read this other article because mm -hmm. there's so many facets to this world of GMOs um each one sort of more complex and interesting uh than the, the than the next so it's it's I think the research is is kind of unending which is overwhelming but mm -hmm. also exciting and why people it's I think don't Get it. Like I think it's why people it's shut so down difficult. around it. It's, yeah. it's hard Understand. to get. You know, it's incredibly yeah. Byzantine. And just today, like in preparation for this podcast, I was like, all right, well, let me just see what the current conversations are right now. <laughs> I mean, G the subject of GMOs is something I've wanted to bring to the podcast for a very mm -hmm. long time, but it's a very incendiary subject, yeah. obviously. Uh, and and I've been reluctant to address it or confront it directly because I want to make sure that the person sitting across from me knows what they're talking about, mm -hmm. is vetted, you know, is substantial, you know, and completely, in, you know, sort of embedded in the subject matter. And that person is very difficult to find, right? <laughs> I'm not sure that I found that person yet. Yeah. Um, and in just poking around today, I'm like, let's just see, like when I just, when I just Google search, like latest research on GMOs, like just see what comes up and like look at it with an objective eye. And it's incredibly bifurcated, you know, mm -hmm. for every subject, for every article that says, 
uh, GMOs are safe. I don't know why everyone's getting so crazy about it. There's another article on the other side exactly. that says directly the opposite. Yes. And then, for example, one article that popped up today was one on for that was on Forbes.com, and it was by this guy. What's his name? John Entre, I think. Um, and I'm like, oh, he's saying, oh, it's completely safe. And I'm like, well, all right, well, who is this guy? Right. Mm-hmm. So then I Google him. Right. You got to. And find that's a whole tree of you know, yeah, right. Like, and then and then I realize, oh, this guy's completely embedded by mm-hmm. Syngenta and Monsanto yeah. and, like, and and you have to like really mm-hmm. um, have your wits about you to kind of read between the lines on all of this. But yeah. at the end of the day, I'm still left wondering, you know, it's like <laughs> totally it's just an, as a as a concerned consumer who has some perhaps a little bit more than the average person's knowledge about what's going on. I'm still left wondering and, and unsure. And we, so are know? we, we right. are wondering every day and we've been working on this film for seven years on and off. And we've reached out to a number of, you know, uh, scientists and researchers and Leaders activists. Of the, I mean, yeah, industry. our film has been vetted by Aaron Brockovich and has the support of Aaron Brockovich by Michael Hansen, who's the, one of the senior scientists at Consumers Union. We are working with Gary Hirschberg at Just Label It, which is the organization that is really working to petition the FDA and Congress to get GMOs labeled in America. And there's, I think, 2 million signatures strong right now. And Mm -hmm. Gary just was in front of uh, Congress at a hearing about GMO labeling. In front of, yeah, a Senate hearing that recently happened about the Dark Act, which... Mm -hmm. Uh, is the is the the kind of pseudonym for what this, the accurate and safe food labeling act right. is uh, actually called? Uh, because it's denying America Americans' right to know what is in our food. It's it's this law that is being pushed through right now that they're trying to pass. That uh, it, it passed in it the passed house. In, it passed the House, the house, house in July. But it, right. it is and now moving to the Senate, which would basically eliminate states' rights from ever being able to states from ever being able to label GMOs it and preempts then, a mandatory labeling and the federally. few states that have already passed GMO labeling laws like Connecticut and Vermont they're embroiled in lawsuits right now and they're mm-hmm. trying to basically what this act would do would overturn that so anyway I, it also just to to interject for a second I believe it also um, ban states from uh, it, it prevent it prohibits states from banning or regulating GMOs in any way. Yeah. Right, it, it's for, crazy permanently, like right. for yeah. kind of forever. Which it's is kind of a First Amendment right. And yeah. th- there was one congressman who called it the denying Americans right to know act. Right, which is right. that's right. the dark act. That's why it's called yeah. right. the, dark the dark act. So, you know, we have as filmmakers, we don't have all the answers, but we have kind of been like investigative journalists, you know, learning as much as we can over, over the years. And I think at the end of the day, we just believe that we have a fundamental right to know what's in our food. I mean, every other food has ingredients on, yes, <laughs> on, on, the, on the label that shows you what's in it. And so for no one to really know that there are genetically modified ingredients in the food, I think is, is really scary you know mm-hmm. and, and, the, and the fact that there's precedent in 64 <clears throat> countries around the world right. i mean it's like we're <laughs> being such a, a you know democratic superpower yeah. the, and the fact that there's no transparency in this arena is is kind of shocking and the same but the same same companies same manufacturers that are making the food here they're actually putting the labels on it for the countries that require it across overseas but mm-hmm. just not here but right. just not here so it's like right the, the, so it's like 
I think the, the, the debate gets, I mean, there's certainly so much research that needs to be done. We need long-term studies mm-hmm. on human health, et cetera. And hopefully these studies are underway right now and continuing um, because there are a lot of answers that, that we need that we don't quite have yet. But I think until we have those answers, we need to proceed with caution, right? And we need to yeah. um, not get caught up in the sort of he said, she said game of safety versus non-safety. And if we can just, at least for now, focus the conversation on labeling, um, that would be a great first step. Yeah. I mean, I think like the scientific community is really divided. And it, as you said, it's a really... Um, divisive debate all around when it comes to safety, especially in terms of human health. Um, you know, there's a lot of complications around independent studies because these are patented seeds. So there, you have to have access to the seeds in mm-hmm. order to study them. Um, and so I think there are, are sort of inherent roadblocks in the way that, that GMOs are, are structured anyway, in terms of the, the corporate, uh, lockdown on them. But, um, intentionally, so intentionally, so probably, but I mean, I think, um, I think there's a lot of misinformation, uh, right now in terms of, you know, I think the the safety is something that is obviously debatable because there hasn't been long-term research. So you can't claim either way that they are safe or unsafe until we have those facts. But environmentally speaking, um, you know, GMOs are, are part and parcel with a lot of chemical inputs mm-hmm. and there's no debating, um, how dangerous herbicides and pesticides are on human health. Um, well, and before we get into the chemical thing, I just want to say, cause what you were saying before rich, which is about, you know, let's just deal with labeling first. But the reason the labeling movement can't get as much traction is because mass, you know, everyone is basically saying, well, GMOs are safe. So right. they don't why do we yeah, need it to it label goes them? Hand, it goes, in hand it, in goes hand. it goes hand in hand. And what I wanted to point out was that some of the most respected scientific bodies around the world are calling for more safety assessments to be done, like Codex Alimentarius, which is run by the World Health Organization and the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations, the American Medical Association, the British Medical Association, the American Public Health Association. They've all stated that they favor pre-market safety assessments and that more research needs to be done on GMOs before we can really determine their safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's... And, and sorry, in 2013, actually, 300 scientists endorsed a statement that there is no scientific consensus on the safety or health risks of eating genetically engineered food. And that was reported in by the European Network of Scientists for Social and Environmental Responsibility. So you have the mass media saying well, GMOs are safe and the science is decided, but it's just not the case. It's it, right. The science is actually divided and they're calling for more studies to be done in the name of science. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think too, you know, when it comes to um, the studies being done and the safety, I mean, there's a lot of um, <laughs> nuanced scientific, you know, jargon that might be confusing about around the safety of GMOs, but basically there's no mandatory safety testing required by the FDA, which is the biggest issue um, because they, they adhere to this regulatory principle called substantial equivalence, which basically means, you know, if it, if it looks like corn and tastes like corn, it's corn. If the few and basic components like the proteins and fats are the same, then they it's don't require the testing. But that's crazy. At the same yeah. time, they're so different than they, that they require a patent. So there's this inherent <laughs> paradox yeah. where it's like, well, this seems to me like a regulatory loophole that 
that totally goes against <laughs> the basic principle in your patenting the, the, right. these life forms. To patent something, it has to be different from <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. distinctly right. unique and different mm-hmm. from what is normal. And so, it, yeah. Sorry, I, I was going to say, yeah, and even extending that paradox, if, if, the, if the assertion is that they're safe, then labeling shouldn't be an issue, right? Because exactly. there's nothing right. to be afraid of. And then beyond that, um, you know, sort of if, if, if and when the dark act pass passes there's this argument that well it's it's being regulated so the public doesn't have to worry about it yeah but, it's not being but that, regulated but if it but if it passes it, it becomes self regulated the, the industry is regulating itself it's, well the it industry already is already is, is already they only do itself. 90 90 day trials on on gmos they don't do long term studies and who's overseeing those trials nobody well, and this is the issue is that you have the fda spokesperson teresa eisman saying it is the manufacturer's responsibility and i quote to ensure that the gmo food that gmo food products it offers for sale are safe. Meanwhile, you have Monsanto's spokesperson, Phil Engel, saying, Monsanto should not have to vouchsafe the safety of biotech food. Our interest is in selling as much of it as possible. Assuring its safety is the FDA's job. <laughs> so <laughs> thus Who's the paradox. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, they're, they're all just like passing the buck, basically, and, and there is no regulatory um, practice that that mm-hmm. that is kind of safeguarding these foods, which are have now become so pervasive that I mean I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I think it's ninety three percent of of corn and and you know over ninety percent of soy, which you know in in processed food it makes up I think eighty percent of the food right. in our supermarkets. So we're being exposed to this stuff, you know, so intensely without really any knowledge or or given any um, choice in the matter because of the lack of labeling. Right. But then we, at least in California and state by state, consumers are being given the choice. There are referendums uh, where, you know, the consumer can vote for labeling. And right. consistently, uh, these organizations have been able to convince consumers to defeat those right. Defeat those uh, those ballot because measures. the biotech so, lobby is so <clears throat> strong. They're, they convince people they that so it's going to increase yeah. the cost of their food, which is not true. Which the center, you know, just label it has a, a had a study done on whether or not food prices would rise for for average consumers, and the answer is no, they will not rise. And the, and I mean, you look at our our food labels, like every you know Disney movie, every Super Bowl the labels are constantly changing to promote, you know, these, these corp, these, you know, other, other sort of pop culture, um, sensations. So, and that's not raising our food prices. We, we see label labels change all the time. And um, we, and it's not like we're afraid to regulate. I mean, just watch any pharmaceutical ad. I mean, it's crazy <laughs> the amount of regulation that goes right. on in every other aspect of our life. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, these are foods like when you look at, um, the corn, for example, it's it's there's something called BT corn, which is what GMO corn is. It's there's an insecticide in the corn itself, which is being released. So you know these are like very novel and new foods that we're eating that are not being tested, which is a really terrifying, um, you know, n- new era of of, of agriculture. Um, and and I think just the idea that we wouldn't label these these very new and novel foods is, is outrageous. And, and that, and over, you have a New York times poll saying 93% of Americans favor labeling GMOs. I mean, people I think want to know, but I think when you get back to the safety, it's the two, two separate issues, the safety of the actual genetically modified organism 
and then how that relates to the actual herb, chemical herbicides that mm-hmm. are being sprayed on GMOs, which is what Zoe oh, was yeah. getting right. at was before, which is how is that affecting our health? Right. How are chemicals impacting us and the environment if, if they're being sprayed at such high volumes now? Which, well, because can well, I just interject since you interjected before? No, you're seeing, you're seeing the dynamic of, uh, of working. Okay. It's okay. Well, Rich we, and I have that. This time. is what I was going to say about the, the chemical inputs was just that, um, basically the way that, that GMOs work with, with this chemical called glyphosate is right. that they're, they're herbicide resistant crops so that you are able to spray more herbicide without killing the plants. You're just killing the weeds around the mm. plants. So it's actually, instead of decreasing um, chemical inputs, it's it's increasing them. And, and in it, this country... It, it's increased by 527 million pounds since GMOs since were introduced. Since they were yeah. introduced in 1996, between mm-hmm. 1996 and 2011. That's, and that's reported by Environmental Sciences Europe, which is a crazy amount. And, and glyphosate, which is the main chemical herbicide is linked to potentially causing cancer. Right. It was the just, World Health Organization yeah. labeled it a probable carcinogen. Yeah. Right. So so if you're eating genetically modified foods mm-hmm. in whatever form, the derivative or, you know, however they're coming into your body mm-hmm. or the body of animals or the environment, they are also married to the chemical herbicide that is on them. Yes. So and the, the Environmental Working Group, which is a great organization, um, did this study that showed that uh, over 3,000 elementary schools are within 1,000 feet or less of GM uh, fields, meaning, you know, like mm-hmm. so many kids in this country are in way direct contact with a probable carcinogen. Well, um, and the food why. that they're eating every day at school is also completely... Right, can, which know, I think, you know, like that's when it becomes divisive. So it's like if you can't fight on the safety of the food itself, you can definitely look at just coming into contact with a probable carcinogen in in, in the air, you know. Right. And drift is a very real thing in these rural, rural communities. So. Yeah, and it's in... It, they're finding glyphosate in... Six, did you say this? Six, no. 60 to 100% of the rainwater in the Midwest now has glyphosate in it. And that is a study done by the School of Public Health by the University of Minnesota. I mean, that's crazy. it's in yeah. the air, it's in the water. They're it's in fine. the soil. They're fi- yeah, it's in the, in the soil. soil. It's in the animals. Even if you're like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to eat this corn. Yeah. yeah if you're eating a, a burger, you know, it, that, that animal has fed on GMO foods its yeah. entire life. Exactly. Soy lecithin, high fructose corn syrup, those are the concentrated forms of the genetic modified corn and soy. Mm-hmm. And so you yeah. read something, Zoe, very interesting that you just told me again. And you, every day you find another fact that's interesting about cotton. Yeah. In, in Argentina, they just uh, did a study that uh, tested BT cot- cotton. Again, it's this, um, it's called Bacillus thuringiensis, which is um, the GMO version of cotton, which again is an insecticide that the, the plant itself produces. Um, and, and, they found that 85% of tampons, cotton, and sanitary products um, tested contained glyphosate. 100% um, of cotton and sterile cotton gauze contained glyphosate, which is really just insane. I mean, this is one so study. So right? you're in a so, hospital, and they're putting cotton, <laughs> cotton on you in, mm-hmm. in a supposedly sterile, clean, healthy environment. 
and it and has traces, traces of, of glyphosate. Of a, this, of a probable carcinogenic. Possibly mm. carcinogenic chemical. That's amazing. Um, back to your point about schools and proximity mm-hmm. to, to GM, uh, GM fields. I mean, I think that's why Hawaii is such a battleground right mm-hmm. now because so much GM testing is yeah. going on mm-hmm. on Hawaii. It's like this perfect Petri dish for them to yep. perfect these, you know, new genetic modified foods and crops and herbicides, et cetera. And, and there's a lot of drift that mm-hmm. blows over into schoolyards and, and people are really, you know, up in arms there. Like that's the one place where I feel like activism is really, um, kind of, uh, gotten a foothold where perhaps here it isn't because, you know, we're in California, it, like unless you're living in the breadbasket, and mm-hmm. if you are living in the breadbasket, then that's how you're making your living. Right. So there's an inherent yeah. conflict there. Yeah. Well, it was really interesting because we, we filmed uh, consumed in rural Illinois. And so we got to talk to farmers after having spent all these years doing research um, from afar. We were then, you know, kind of planted in the belly of the beast, which, you know, when you're actually talking to people who, who this is their livelihood, I was actually expecting, um, the farmers we were talking to 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 really defend to defend GMOs, GMOs because yeah. it was their livelihood, and that's not the case at all. We had a bunch of farmers that were saying that, and we had, we met with a we interviewed and and had one farmer really get into it with us who has both organic and GMO. So well, he's, he's a seed distributor. Yeah, a seed. Yeah. No, but he was a farmer and a seed distributor. He was doing both, and and he said that his organic was performing better than his GMOs were, and. Not in terms of sales, but in terms of yield. actually yield. Wow. Over actually, time. yeah, yeah. M- most studies will will show you if you if you research them that organic has the highest yields. Um, it's Which just, is so ironic because that, they're the promoting whole it as yeah, of yields. to increase yields. That's not true. The yields yeah. are not increased. Yeah, it's, that, it's a false bill. Of organic goods. has the highest yields. It's just the premiums are so high, and I think you know it comes back to what are the motivating factors behind pushing GM foods on our country and the world, you know, I think profit is a, a, a big motivating factor more than yields or feeding a starving population mm-hmm. in the face of, of, you know, world, world hunger. And, and I think, you know, when you look at, um, what the government, what our government is subsidizing, they could easily be subsidizing organics, but that's not where the profit lies. Yeah, okay, to be, to be, to certify as organic as an organic farmer is so costly mm-hmm. yeah. and that's why you see so many you go to a farmer's market and you see so many of these proprietors that are basically saying to you our food is basically organic but we just can't put the certified thing because right. we can't afford to actually go through the protocols and process mm-hmm. to actually certify it and so just like Zoe's saying I mean why can't we give subsidies to the actual good food <laughs> as opposed to subsidizing all this crap processed food yeah. that's in every grocery aisle. Well, the subsidies are just such a huge problem across the board for so many reasons. Yeah. I mean, it drives, you know, the socioeconomics of food in general. And it's a big reason why, you know, under sort of underclass uh, populations are unhealthy yeah. because the only food that they can afford is subsidized food, which translated is fast food and, yeah. and processed food. So, you know, organic and the like is just out of reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, you, you want to talk about like one of the main tenants of the pro biotech, you know, side of, of this equation and what they what they say all the time. One of the talking points is GMOs are saving the world. They're, they're going to save the world. They're going to feed the world. The, the truth of the matter is, and this is a fact, 
we have enough food already to feed the world. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's not about making more food. It is about distributing food. Right. Mm-hmm. It's about the access roads and, and delivery systems. Those are what's flawed. Those are the problems in terms of being able to right. feed people. Yeah, there's a line in the keynote talk that I always give, which is that um, we're, already, we're already producing enough food to feed 10 billion people. Yeah. It's just that all that all that food is going to livestock, right? It's going to raise right, the it's animals. Going, it's, so going to, it's going to, to biofuels, and it's exactly, it's going to, to, to feed the animals, which we're then eating. Right. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, but, yeah. Through, I mean, livestock is inherently incredibly inefficient. It, mm-hmm. It's like for, it takes 26 calories to produce one calorie, right. the way that we yeah. raise animals for food. So right. it doesn't really make sense as population continues to explode. But it's true. All that food in the bread basket of the United States is really going to livestock feed. It's not going to feed humans. So we really, you know, global hunger could be solved by reallocation. That's right. And it's, yeah. and it, but it's also, there's an interesting tie into climate change, which is you're, they're spending so much money on these factory farms and on big agriculture, agribusiness, that that is where the environmental, mm-hmm. where it's really impacting the of environment. Absolutely. Are these, you know, and the, you talk about trying to cut carbon emissions. Well, how about we start there? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think like it, that the idea that GMOs are, are, you know, like we don't need to worry about them because they've been vetted and they're safe. It, it's just one drop in the bucket of the implications that they have on just our world and, and climate change in general is like, this is GMOs are part and parcel with an industrial agricultural model that is destroying our world. So. Right, right, right. And there's this, you know, this, this, this horrible argument that's going around that, you know, GMO pro, sorry, anti-GMO activists or proponents are essentially like uh, climate change deniers. Right. It's like, it's, it's emotional. It's not fact-based. Right. Well, you know, climate change is very fact-based. And anyone who's a climate change denier at this point in time is essentially crazy. (laughs) But uh, this is also wanting to get into the facts of the science. And as we said before, they they just have not come to a consensus on whether Mm -hmm. GMOs are safe. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation. A groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce 
my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. There's an interesting line in the movie uh, where Victor Garber, who, by the way, is amazing. I yeah, mean, he's, he's that awesome. guy's good in everything, I know, right? He's, he's so just great. like the best, yeah. right? So he plays the CEO of Clenestra, which mm-hmm. is an analog for, you know, fill in the blank. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys made a very interesting choice. Um, it would have been very easy, perhaps lazy, to just make him a, an outright villain, to like villainize him because he's, mm-hmm. he's playing the role of the guy who's in charge of, of basically propagating. GMO foods and, and, and sort of GMO research to benefit this giant corporation that he's at the helm of. Mm-hmm. But instead, you decide to make him very human. And he has his own personal challenges and professional challenges. And, you know, so the audience can actually kind of empathize with his real world kind of view and walk a mile in his shoes. And there's a moment in the film where he's sort of presenting this new technology to some farmers. And he, he basically says, it's about you guys. It's about mm-hmm. the farmers. Mm-hmm. And it's so ironic because it's not about the farmers no. at all, you know, which brings me back to, you know, this discussion that we're having about who stands to gain here, like who really stands to gain. And when you look at, you know, whether it's Monsanto or Syngenta or one of these mm-hmm. other companies, they've created these completely vertically integrated models where they own the seeds, they own all the patents, they own the patents on the herbicides. And in order to use the herbicide, you got to use the seed. And then you have to become a farmer who is then sort of indentured to to, to total monopolization. Yeah. And so of course this is the ultimate business model to control our food system. Right. right? So it's not about anything other than that really. And so they can hide behind this message of, you know, we're saving the world or we're feeding the world, but like, let's take a little closer look at that and, and, yeah, parse yeah. It out and, a and look, we, you know, there's a lot of noble pursuits there's, you know, to add vitamins to different genetically modified foods to, you know, help disease and, and drought uh, tolerant yeah, you know, drop, crops for Africa, drop, and- grow crops in places that they can't be grown, you know, couldn't grow before. Right. These all sound good in theory. You know, like I, we believe wholeheartedly in science. It's just amount. It's just about taking the time to really test it. Right, let's slow down and slow down mm-hmm. and go through the actual process and not be so profit driven and and control driven and and uh, and at the same time, I think there needs to be a push to educate people more about good, healthy whole foods and organic foods. Right, I think there was a quote at the end of your movie when the credits are rolling where it says 54% of Americans know little to nothing about GMO. And what was great, you have these, you sort of flash these quotes at the end and then they're footnoted. Yeah. <laughs> You're looking closely. Yeah, yeah. I was like, where can I read those footnoteds? Where do they're you get those? They're at the those? end of the, f- the, end of the credits. You've got to sit all the way through. You can read the whole article. You know, know it's, it's, like such, a, it's, it's such a hotly contested 
uh, subject, as we've yeah. already touched upon, that um, Daryl and I went kind of crazy, where we were like, well, you have we to. Gotta, we, yeah, you have to, because the, the second you make a claim, you know, there's a thousand people who are going to say, well, where right. did you get that information? Um, and like you said, for every article that you read that says GMOs are safe, there's another one that says they're not safe, or vice versa. Um, but I wanted to just talk about... Um, you know, feeding the world and, and kind of the the motivating factors behind GMOs especially. And that like when it comes to f- food security, which I'm still so shocked that Bill Gates is like <laughs> one of the biggest proponents of GMOs. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about food security in developing nations, that, that, that that's what GMOs are really, you know, going to, to help solve. And it, it in, if you really do your research, I mean, the way to achieve food security, outside of the fact that there's enough food, as we as we mentioned, and that it's about distribution and access, is about sustainable farming practices. Because the only way to get to f- food security is is to give people food sovereignty, that where they where they are not indentured to a corporation, where they're not indentured to chemical inputs, where they can actually create a sustainable mode of farming that allows them to have have that direct access to food in their own backyard and you know there's this this thing called golden rice that that's like a big red herring for the biotech lobby where they say well we're making this this rice that's going to eradicate blindness in in south asia um, because it has levels of vitamin a that you know can't be found in rice in conventional rice um and, and when you look at the actual facts behind that, it's like there are so many ways to um, absorb vitamin A through mm-hmm. through vegetables and fruits that already have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that if we actually gave, um, if we taught these developing communities how to grow those, those um, vegetables and fruits in their own backyards, that would eradicate you know, vitamin A deficiency Mm -hmm. so much more rapidly than the 20 plus years that they've been trying to do research and the $10 million that has gone towards this golden rice research, research, which to this day has still not been commercialized. So it's like, that's the biggest success story that they tout is golden rice. That's not on the market. That's never been commercialized in 20 years. And they started it by using the wrong rice. Yeah. I mean, there's, they've been had so many technical difficulties in, in even achieving a, a vitamin A infused rice um, when there are so many other ways even just with food supplements and food fortifications that would achieve the same means Mm -hmm. but they're not about um, monopolizing a market and making these these farmers you know dependent on on large corporations And, and to talk about monopolization i mean it's super scary to think of a future where we just have five crops i mean can <laughs> yeah. you imagine no. if we just had like what happens if one of those crops becomes susceptible to some super weed or super bug which are actually happening because of, of this, no no we'll, the, we'll master that yeah. we've mastered yeah, that exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean behind it all is a, is an incredible hubris behind it all is this yeah. idea that as human beings we can outsmart nature, right? right? And whether it's through glyphosate or whatever is going to come after glyphosate. And, you know, the history of mankind, the history of the planet speaks otherwise. It's like nature will find a way. Just look at the way, you know, flu viruses, you know, sort of morph and change in the period of time between when they figure out what the flu vaccination is going to be mm-hmm. and then when they're yeah. actually administering the shots. Like, 
nature finds a way. And they're already seeing, like you said, these super bugs that are finding their way around yeah, glyphosate. The, glyphosate is not the end end game here. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to continue. And then they're going to have to do find a figure out an even more powerful herbicide. Well, and they, and they, they already soils? and they already are. They're using they're they're starting to use 2,4-D, which constitutes one half of the defoliant in Agent Orange during Vietnam. Oh, the yeah. harshest chemical almost that's in really the history put on the of the world. And I mean, it's a toxic soup that is contaminating food, water, and soil. I mean, it just is. Mm. Oh, because, because I think we are tampering with nature in this way, um, which is vastly different than, than cross breeding, which, which is another argument that you hear on the, the sort of biotech lobby side, which is that we've been doing this for centuries. Mm-hmm. It's a very different right, calm process. Calm down people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we know, haven't, we know what no, we, 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 what we were doing for centuries was cross breeding like, like plants organisms. and organisms that are of the same species. Mm-hmm. What, what genetic engineering is doing is it's, it's taking the DNA, the genetic material from one species that's entirely different from another and mm-hmm. transferring it into that. So what is that doing? And well, you have to use is, a virus or a bacterium in order to do that. So yeah, it's, it's mixing just, genes. It's yeah. Frankenfood. I mean, yeah. there's no, you know, there's no other way about it. So, so I mean, yeah. So I, I think, I think just, just this idea that, um, you know, that this is something that that has been a part of our our history of agriculture is is just yeah. That's a big argument false. that's yeah. used. Like we've been doing this for a long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We it's weren't just, altering. This isn't any different, and you know, it is. It is qualitatively different. It, as the World Health Organization said, that ge- genetically genetic engineering is altering. It's altering it in a way that does not occur naturally. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, there's not a more clear, simple way mm-hmm. to put it. It's what is natural. Mm-hmm. is natural. It's coming from Mother Nature. It's 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 not being changed on a genetic level. So when you guys decided to uh, take this on, I mean, did you have, <laughs> did you know, why like if we, you, if you knew, yeah, like if you knew on. then what you know now, would you have chosen differently? I mean, did you realize sort of the gravity and the kind of, uh, you know, no, sort of, in the beginning no. we did in seven years ago when we just were like, oh, this is so interesting and, <laughs> and could be a cool thriller. And then we realized, wow, this is really profound. I mean, it's really affecting us all and, you know, there's there's so many people fighting for for noble causes. Like we need to save, can- we need to cure cancer. That it's a, a great, I think, perfect uh, thing to point out. That you know, we spend so many billions of dollars on cancer research institutes and how to you know solve that problem. And so many you see at the World Series, you know, they make an announcement about about cancer, and it's like. It's pretty. It's easy to get to the root of some of the issues that cause cancer. It's like look at the food and the environment that we're making, that we're consuming. Mm-hmm. It's like the fuel that goes into a car. It's the same analogy. The food that we're eating is the fuel of our body. That is what is charging us every day and and, and moving us. So it's like redistribute some of the money that we're spending on some of those, on just continually trying to. F- come up with solutions to the new problem that is created by the same well, problem. Well, they're not getting to the cause. Co- right. yeah, get to cost. the root they're of the problem. Treating, yeah, they're like, let's treat cancer at the end, you know, right. as opposed to yeah. preventing it in the first yeah, place start and, and the, looking at the what the beginning. actual causal yeah. factor is. Yes, I, but I just need to say, totally. I mean, yes, I mean, uh, but the problem is, is the problem is in that statement that they are profit-oriented over and above any other principle of living and being in a life. And so, you know, people need to take self-responsibility. They need to understand 
understand. I mean, all of this information, you guys are so well informed and, you know, you're so heroic and you guys made an amazing movie Thanks. and I'm a huge fan of you. You're, you're a beautiful couple and beautiful individually <laughs> and, you know, you're really doing something meaningful and it's, it's really, it, it really is something. So, Thanks. so, you know, thank you. Thank it's you. really yeah. amazing to be here with you. There's, thank you. Yeah. And again, but you know, when we bring it all down, it's like the science is overwhelming and it's like, there's so many of this and so many of that, and you can just start to spin out. But it's like, as you demonstrated in the movie, you bring it back to the personal mm -hmm. and what is happening is we all have family members. Yeah. We have children, we have loved ones, we have ourselves and we are getting sick. Yeah. And these un diagnosed diseases are showing up and they are affecting our lives and we yeah. need to take responsibility and put us before this whole idea of capitalism or you know or the way business works the human being comes first yeah. the mother and the child comes first which yeah. is what you presented right, in the movie yeah. yeah and I think it was I think like you were saying that was beautifully stated Julie um, and thank you for all your kind words mm -hmm. I, I think you know it was important that we didn't demonize corporations in our film because I think it does if, if we want to look at at the sort of larger issue from a human standpoint then everyone has to be humanized right we, we have to have empathy coming from all directions say okay well you've got shareholders to answer to so we get that you're profit oriented but let's all take a step back and really look at at the root cause of all of the things that are plaguing us as a country and as a world um, and I wanted to just say, you know, when it comes to like our country, especially being, you know, so wealthy and yet so sick and, and, and this dichotomy of the poorest people in our country being the most obese, which around the world you've never seen, right? Mm -hmm. The poorest people are, are, are starving generally. Um, and so w w how is this paradox playing out? Um, and that food allergies have, um, increased by, like 265% the CDC mm -hmm. reported in the last 10 years. And this idea that like to eat healthy is, is, um, just for the wealthy. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and people can't actually, afford organic. That, that people can't afford organic and that, and that GMOs are kind of a, a first world problem. Like that, that those of us who are fighting this fight are, are kind of, it's a bourgeois <laughs> cause right, celeb. Right, right, right. Um, you know, it's it's so much deeper than that. And and when we first started looking into it, we had no idea the implications or, or quite how pervasive this issue was and, and would turn out to be. Um, but but the the American Medical Association um, said that we spend twenty five billion dollars a year on um, on food allergies from medical care to, to pharmaceuticals, which is. I mean, we could be saving so much money if, again, if we got to the root cause of, mm -hmm. of what, where these allergies were coming from and if we really looked at it from a holistic perspective. Um, so I think the idea that, that, you know, well, poor people can't afford healthy food, they, can, they could be way more cost effective if they were saving on medical bills after they eat all of the processed foods that are making them ill to yeah. begin with. Well, that's, that's what I always say. You know, people say to me all the time when we're speaking and traveling and, and, you know, sharing the recipes from our book and they say, well, it isn't eating organic really expensive. Mm -hmm. Isn't it just so expensive? And my reply is, uh, illness is quite expensive. Yeah. yeah. Quite do you want to pay for it in the long run? I don't think you do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cause you're going to be paying those doctor bills at some point if you're mm -hmm. just eating processed food. Yeah. But that's yeah. later. Right. But that's right, later. Right. You don't have to right. think about it now. Yeah, I know, right? I think also, and, and this my is something. My self-driving car is going <laughs> yeah, directly yeah, to the yeah. And then to the hospital. <laughs> um, no, I think, I think, you know, 
Um, oh no, what, what was I just going to say? I don't know, what but I want to talk about? about the genetically modified salmon that's coming. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's it, on the horizon, Do they have two yeah. heads? <laughs> genetically modified salmon is pending FDA approval, but they FDA has come out officially supporting it. And I mean, this could be on our dinner plates very soon. I mean, it's Not like on ours. we, yeah, <laughs> except, except on yours. Uh, so if you are plant-based out there, then <laughs> you're safe. Then you're totally fine. Although you're eating a lot of soy and corn, probably. <laughs> probably but yeah. if it is approved, yeah. it will be the first genetically modified, genetically engineered animal. Animal? Do they? What did, did they take? Where did the 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 sort of extraterrestrial DNA come from in that case? A poutfish uh, that is making salmon grow. I think twice as fast and twice as big, or something. It's, it's something like that. It and just does not it, sound I'm, good. I know. I mean, come on, it doesn't sound good. But of course, you know, they're saying it's safe. And look, if a genetically modified salmon were to get out into the wild, which they're saying, it, there's no way it ever could. I'm sorry, it's just that you can't. How is you that? can't say yeah, how that. Is that I mean, if there's yeah. a river near a facility <laughs> and it's somehow, I mean, who knows the, the distribution or the facilities have any kind of. Um, you know, issue with there with something happening. But if it ever, if a genetically modified salmon were to ever get out in the wild and mate with a regular salmon, we will never again know if we're eating a wild natural salmon. (laughs) I mean, just the thought of that, how genetic engineering is impacting biology and the environment from that point of view is crazy. Yeah, it's, it's like totally irreversible. Seeds, though, too, right? Yeah. Like and it, the, the seeds, seeds are blowing everywhere, yeah. and it's mm-hmm. like basically, you know, even organic farms. It, it's like it's inevitable that it all just is going to become a blend of some sort. It, and yeah, right? there's and nature no, has its way. You know, it's like exactly. It's already we're already so beyond the point of turning back. I mean, the fact that over ninety percent of of soy and corn in this country is already gen- genetically modified. I mean. Mm-hmm not even, you know, accounting for all of the, the, the ways in which it's drifted to, to non-GMO fields and organic fields. It, it, I think that's what's most terrifying is it's like we can, that, that labeling is kind of this, this effort to at least give us a choice, but the, the choice is becoming less and less, um, realistic and so cavalierly like like oh don't worry about it like we figured it out like without really doing how could you know that if there hasn't been long-term human testing you know just sort of like oh we did enough testing to kind of pass fda muster and in our little self-regulating world really doesn't is not convincing right so so wherever you fall on on the equation i think it you know wouldn't every prudent person want to see long, you know, long-term tests that, that yeah. show whatever in either, in whatever right. way, in the most and, objective yeah, and, way possible. And animal feeding studies too, which is like, it's not just field trials. I mean, we have to see long-term animal feeding studies, which, which are very rare. And, you know, the hearing that just happened in relation to the, the dark act, uh, in front of the Senate, uh, they, you know, there's, there, it was completely stacked against the, the organic green side of, of the equation. I mean, it was like everyone there had some tie to biotech. Well, and the broccoli was, farmers don't have some K Street lobbying group that they can, you know, bankroll. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it was, really, it was really depressing to see how, you know, at that level, it's, it's just so rigged in, their, in, in the favor of, of big, big agribusiness. And you know, what they were debating about was this idea of labeling and how to do it. And there's this notion that's been put forward 
of, well, you know, and, and this is a, an approach that I don't think is the best approach, which is let's just put on a QR code on uh, the the box, which would, like a which would be a barcode that people would have to get out their cell yeah, phones. They'd have that. to download an app to be able to you read the barcode. Yeah. yeah, you need a QR reader. I mean, maybe there's like a thousand people that are, that are doing that right now in America, and and then then you go to the, that links you to the website to for the actual biotech company's food, and you can read in the fine print there about what yeah. the ingredients. I mean, it's insane. It's, it's like just get get some language on there right. just like they do in Europe mm-hmm. you know that says this mm-hmm. food is genetically engineered yeah we flew um, Air France we were just in France we flew Air France back and they were um, they had little like chocolates that they were handing out and I looked at the ingredients on the chocolates and it said GM soy less than and I was like I, like I had to like blink and like look at it again because I had never seen the <laughs> word GM <laughs> yeah. in front of soy lecithin. Right. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, bless you, Air France! <laughs> You're fighting the good fight." Uh, and a lot yeah. of these big companies that create these foods, they they create two different products. They create a product exactly. for Europe and they create a yeah. product for the United. I mean, yeah, in Europe they're they're much more all about. They're much less tolerant of these kinds of things, yes. so they'll produce the the version of the food that does not avail itself of GM ingredients. And in the United States, it's like it's a free-for-all. Yeah, and I think the way that, I mean, you see a lot of the portrayal of Europe's aversion to GM foods, in this country at least, is that, again, it's just fear-mongering, it's anti-science. And I think that's the thing that that needs to be subverted more than anything else in terms of the, the discourse around GMOs, is that this is this is actually a call to action for science. It's like that science should not be able to be bought by by corporations that we need independent scientists who are willing to do this work and we need uh, cooperation from corporations to give access to the seeds so that we can all at least come to a consensus if they're safe then they're safe but at least we have that that peace of mind yeah transparency across the board yeah. right and we need to know when scientists go on television or write articles on Forbes or whatever we need to know like who's funding if, if they're yeah. being funded by these interests like we need to know that there's a guy do you know this guy Ken Folta yeah mm-hmm. Kevin so, Folta Kevin Folta yeah. right yeah he yeah. was making the rounds a while back yeah. as the sort of voice of reason when it comes to GMO and sort of as an independent down. researcher at yeah, the University independ- of Florida exactly yeah. he went on Joe Rogan and for three hours talked about how you know there's nothing to be concerned about and then like a month later front page of the New York Times like sort of pulling covers on that guy and and demonstrating that no in fact he really was in the pocket he was on Monsanto's payroll there was some email where he said like oh you'll be very happy your money's well spent you know on Monsanto's payroll I have to say like you know um like in articles he was he was always the go-to independent scientist who would like shame any G- anti-GMO activist or anyone who was calling into question the safety of GMOs and he was always kind of revered as like the voice of reason mm-hmm. and he always came out saying I am independent I am not funded by any biotech corporations and the fact that now it's come to light that that he was funded and that like you said like he wrote your money was well spent I mean, this is this is what's it was really, something like that. Like, I don't want to yeah. get like sued or no, anything. No, 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 totally. Like, you know, what I, it, was, it was. I'm I'm paraphrasing loosely. I don't know exactly what he yeah. said, but I know there was an email where there yeah. was some disclosure like that. Well, yeah, the, and the, and the, the when you start speaking out, I mean, this movie, you know, we we tried our best to to 
present both sides, um, but we really did want to spark a, a dialogue and just start making people ask themselves tougher questions about the food they're eating in this country. Um, but, you know, just on my Twitter feed, I started getting followed by some really intense people who every time I would post anything about the movie would come out and say something like, you know, about the safety of GMOs or whatever. And I was so freaked out by it. And when you look at like the sort of thriller and noir elements of our film, yeah, they, they so sort insidious. of then st- start the to... The lobby is so strong. It's so pervasive. Mm-hmm. I mean, and... Well, there are people that are getting paid to yeah, just have Twitter accounts. Sit, yeah, exactly. Like I had... Yeah. Um, Vani Hari on the podcast. He's yeah. the food babe. Yeah. And, and Kevin Folter really went after yeah, her. Yeah, I mean, she gets crushed. And yeah. when, but when you look at the people that are doing the crushing, it, it, it always originates back to these plants. Like you go to these Twitter accounts and it's just 500 tweets in a row that are yeah. anti-food babe. And whether yeah. you like the food babe or not, like I happen to think like there's way too much controversy about her. She's just a consumer I, advocate I who's right. like raising and a discussion And she's actually about these really things. effective. But when yeah, she starts to threaten the interests of these They big, come after her big. and then it, it's very convincing. The average yeah. person sees that and jumps on that bandwagon. Yeah. And right. so that was a, a question that I had for you guys. Like, are you experiencing any of that? Like, has there been some reprisals? We haven't really experienced anything yet. I mean, the movie is just starting to come out. But, you know, look, our movie is is, is fictionalized. It is inspired by the food industrial complex everything that is actually going on out there and you know we we have a great law firm behind the film Donaldson Califf I'll say that on the record <laughs> oh, Michael Donaldson, Donaldson Califf yeah. uh, helped I know, I know vet the film and and Aaron Brockovich who I don't think anyone wants to mess with her these days <laughs> that's amazing um, yeah. and so but you know look it, it the lobby is so strong and scary, and I think that is what is contributing to so much, so many problems. I wanted to say that in 2015 alone, the uh, some of these major corporations like General Mills and Pepsi and Coca-Cola and Kellogg's, they spent over $10 million lobbying to block mandatory GMO labeling. Mm-hmm. I mean, the money that they're dumping in to keep people in the dark on these issues, which is why Just Label It started the Conceal or Reveal campaign and are trying to get, you know, shed light on what is going on so that people understand, you know, how in the dark we are. An important point I want to make sure comes across is that your movie is entertaining. You know, it's like, it's <laughs> yeah. not like this. It's not a documentary. Yeah, it's not a documentary. And it's also, you know, it is somewhat, ba- it's not like this super, ardent like anti-GMO message that you're being blasted with it's just it's very human stories you know you have the mother and the child Zoe you play the mother beautifully Mm -hmm. and and who has a sick child who goes on this Aaron Brockovich type journey Mm -hmm. to try to you know figure out what is going on and that puts her in contact with Danny Glover the farmer and these scientists and ultimately you know this Victor Garber character the CEO and all these kind of worlds collide Um, but at the end of the day, these are just human beings living exactly. their lives. And this is a, you know, it's a it's dramatic an entertaining thriller. It's yeah. And that's, that's first and foremost, we're filmmakers. We wanted to make a interesting movie. None of us are, none of us are scientists, yeah. nor do we. Exactly. <laughs> and while, on and, a podcast. <laughs> right. And while we're here on the podcast, you know, talking about so many of the real world issues, which, you know, we do care, we really do care about. I think that people, whatever, if, whether you know nothing about GMOs or you, you are pro-GMO or anti-GMO, I think you can watch this movie mm-hmm. and, and just, from and it, yeah. yeah, take something from it, it gets you thinking, but it's, it's a thriller. Like it's mm-hmm. a thriller. It's right. just, you get engaged in a kind of fun, classic 
cinematic way, mm-hmm. just like that harkens back to some of those like nice Silkwood. Yeah, the yeah. Silkwood and All the President's Men, those fun yeah. 1970s mm-hmm. political thrillers that didn't shy away from the issues, but it yeah, I want I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you for doing that cuz <laughs> you know, we could get carried away mm-hmm. on on cuz we're so passionate about the issues and I think as pe- as, individuals, as individuals we've we've come to our own conclusions, but in terms of the film's message, the film doesn't draw any we conclusions. Didn't it, draw it, raises it really doesn't. It doesn't all. we don't we men we're very clear about making it not have anything definitive. No, there's no definitive statement in the movie one way or the other. It's it's really just raising every point. Donaldson so. and Caleb are probably happy. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we did we did have to get it vetted because I'm sure. It, and and the not just by by Donaldson and Caleb, but but by, you know, leaders in the organic movement and, and the people who have been fighting this fight for so many years and that they've devoted, you know, their blood, sweat and tears to that we had such a, a larger responsibility as filmmakers than we've ever had before to, to get, you know, make sure that we were n- never doing a disservice to the work mm-hmm. that these people ha- had been doing for so long and continue to do. Um, and so, you know, we did have to make changes. We had to be really, really careful and mm-hmm. go through every single um, you know, element of the film with a fine tooth comb to make sure that we were serving, um, serving, you know, I think both, both sides of, of, of this debate, um, fairly. Yeah. I mean, and it's crazy, you know, some of the people that we've talked to, they've been, they've devoted their entire lives to this issue. I mean, there, there were moments throughout this process. I've said this to Zoe where I'm like, should I just become a GMO activist and stop making movies? I was like, should I just quit I mean, I, this is like, we're so deep in it at this point. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I could just see myself going and working for one of these nonprofits <laughs> and just spending the rest of my life, like getting people to know how to eat healthy food. But you know, it's so, and then I see these amazing activists who are so tired and, and so up, feel like the exhaustion level, defeated, defeated mm-hmm. quality in their voices and frustration and anger and how hard it is to get anything accomplished is so sad to see and demoralizing to witness that it just makes me think, okay, yeah, no, I'm going to stick to movies. <laughs> but I do <laughs> but, think that, that but, oh, yeah, no, no, I was just going to say, it's just like, you know, I, you don't see them being represented in the news about these issues, you know, mm-hmm. like the Organic Consumers Association, the Environmental Working Group, Center for Food Safety, none of them were invited to the hearing on labeling GMOs. Mm-hmm. And these are some, and some of the most scientifically sound organizations in the country, you know, so it's just, it's just really shocking. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you see yourself continuing this battle or are you going to move on to the next thing? I mean, I don't know. We'll have to see what I happens. There's a, definitely a TV, there's a TV show <laughs> that could come like this movie. I feel like could turn into a TV show that just like continues on season right. after season investigating the issues. I mean, for better or worse, you are like, you are ambassadors of this movement totally. just by making this movie. And with that comes a certain level of responsibility. Absolutely. And, and I do think that I think it's impossible to, to turn away from it at this point, you know, not just that we're so deep or have been learning about it for so long. I think, I think the gravity of the situation is, is pretty, um, devastating. Emotionally, it's just, it's like devastating. And I think how, um, perpetually kind of humiliated, uh, anti-GMO activists are in the public discourse is like something that I feel really strongly needs to shift. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, a big part of this movie not being a documentary is is to reach that broader audience so that 
in the public discourse, this can be some be something that is at the front of people's minds when we're talking about, um, you know, health and wellness, and that it's not just a fear based emotional issue. That this is something that is like so pervasive on so many levels. I I, I don't look at it as black black and white that it's just evil versus good. I mean, I understand how complicated this is mm-hmm. um, in terms of you know the motivating factors, but I think it, it is something that on a consumer level we could take a much larger stand on as a country. Well, exactly. And then voting with your dollars exactly, and, you know, yeah. everything is labeled. And as, you know, parents of, of children and, you know, individuals, we need to know what we're eating. Yeah. I mean, just for many, many reasons for yeah. many other reasons. But if we, if we turn a blind eye or we uh, choose to not take responsibility and get involved in it, it will visit us in various forms in our own personal (laughs) lives. And, you know, there's no escaping it because this is our food system and it's what we're eating. And that's why, you know, we always advocate organic, Mm non-GMO, you know, and starting to really explore growing your own food Mm -hmm. and finding heirloom seeds Mm -hmm. and getting involved with your farmers, you know, going to the farmer's market, you know, connecting with those people on a deeper level. This is very, very, very important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the science is vast and the internet is very confusing mm-hmm. and politics is more, they're more confusing. <laughs> um, but I, I really have, you know, huge faith and hope in your film because you've presented an incredibly entertaining piece of art. Um, it's very well done, Thank very you so well much. written. Thank you and so much. Zoe, your performance is extraordinary. <laughs> you made me cry oh. more than once. <laughs> and, um, the actor that played your 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 child, mm-hmm. um, what's his name? His name's Nick Bond. He was amazing. Yeah, he, and really, that we really found incredible. him in uh, Illinois. He was sitting next to us at a farmer no at way. a farmer's brunch. <gasps> oh wow! Perfect. And I said, "Oh my God, this kid looks so." Amazing. We He's had gone so through like authentic. casting in Chicago, and we we didn't fall in love with anyone. And then we're sitting at this farmer's brunch, and Daryl was like, "Excuse me, <laughs> do you want to act? Do you want to act in a movie?" <laughs> I mean, he'd never acted before, and you know, his parents, you know, it was a totally new experience. And but they were so great, and mm-hmm. and you know, it was really exciting to to really be in like the heartland, like Zoe was saying before, with these people that are really living these, living these lives, you know, around so much farmland. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say that our catering and craft services, this may be, I I obviously don't know, I can't speak for every food, I mean, film production that's ever happened, but I can proudly say that our production was entirely non-GMO sourced for all the catering and the craft services and was almost entirely organic as well from the farm. We were on a really small budget and and I have to say um, organic and non-GMO companies really came out and supported the Film and donated and a lot of stuff, so they we were better. Really, yeah, <laughs> it was cool, and it was like the way we made the movie was totally independent. Like to get to Mr. Lister, you know, mm. our production company, Mr. Lister Films, we did it on our own. We didn't have any production company or studio behind us. Mm. We raised the money through friends and family, and uh, and have some really great executive producers that really believed in the story and the message. And yeah, I just saw Kevin Connolly tweeted. Yeah, yeah, Kevin, Kevin Connolly, Connolly. Entourage. Yeah, one of he's, EPs. he's one of the EPs, and uh, and yeah, he's. It's it was really great to go and do it on our own because we could really just 
tell the story that we wanted to tell. You know, there was it was, and it was very similar to that the grassroots movement right. as a whole. You know, it was like we were an organ, we were an organic organism <laughs> that. Uh, in order for us to function strongly, every department had to be working together, and uh, and and our distribution model. We we are now um, releasing the film through this company called Gather, which is also again kind of mimicking the grassroots uh, mm-hmm. movement of of organics and and wellness in this country. Which is it's basically a theatrical on demand release, which is a pretty new model, um, in terms of film distribution. And we're really excited to be a part of it, but basically it means that, um, in, in right now it's available in 123 cities across the country, which means if, if enough people in each city reserve a ticket in advance, the screening happens. So it's, it's basically a a crowdfunded, um, theatrical release, but I think, you know, a big part of it is, is relying on, on our community of, of people who are invested in, in health and in wellness to show up and to support the film yeah. and, and to get this conversation started. I mean, and yeah, the way people can see it is by, if you go to the website, consumethemovie.com, mm-hmm. you can go to see the film and you can type in, it's easy, you type in your zip code and you can see where the film is playing. So right now, like Zoe was saying, we have over 100 screenings in the first couple of weeks of December of 2015, but they can continue all the way throughout 2016. I mean, as anyone... As long as there's demand. Yeah. As long as there's demand, exactly. Anyone can just say, I want to request a screening, or you can host a screening. I mean, you could host one right here <laughs> in uh, the Malibu area, and and then you, it's just up to you to promote it to your friends and your and mm-hmm. family, any organizations in the area. And then it can become this kind of fun community event where everyone goes and you can talk about these issues. Yeah, I love it. It's so cool. I love to see these new distribution models and platforms yeah. creeping up. Um, we experienced that with Cowspiracy, this documentary mm-hmm. that we were involved right. in. They they went they with a tug. similar. They used Tug, yeah. which is kind of analogous. There's probably yeah, some very slight slight differences, but um, but yeah, they were just crowdfunded screenings, and they had I think they had like 200 mm-hmm. like something a yeah. lot like yeah. that went on. And 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 the the filmmakers were just in a van driving around, <laughs> yeah, totally. as many right. of them as they could. <laughs> yeah. And it's just amazing that there was that much of a you know when there's that many people interested in that subject matter, what can be accomplished? Mm-hmm. It was yeah. really I would have never thought like that many screenings would have occurred. Right. And I I can see the same thing happening here, and I think it's great. It's very, it you know, it stays very true to your kind of DIY indie roots, yeah. <laughs> um, and it, and it it is it, it it does make it a grassroots thing, and I think mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, if people are listening who are intrigued and interested, I, I can't encourage you enough to go the movie. I mean, I mean it's fabulous. So Thanks. go to the go to the website, request a screening, get your friends together and like make an evening of it. Because mm-hmm. I really think that um, <clears throat> especially with, you know, movies like yours or like Cowspiracy that are so kind of, um, you know, have this socially conscious mm-hmm. message. Uh, it, it, it's a great way to spark a dialogue, you know, and it's really you know, gather, right. It's called gather. It's like gather around, not just this movie, but this idea and it's groups and gatherings like that, you know, one by one, even if they're small, that really are going to be the thing that can potentially change, you know, the conversation, the Mm -hmm. dialogue, and hopefully, you know, get these people that deserve to be on, you know, covered by the mainstream media to get covered, you know, so let's, let's shift that discussion. Yeah. And get involved in, you know, host, host screenings and (laughs) become part of the team. Yeah. Yeah. And you can do that at consumethemovie.com. And also if you follow our social media, which is at consume movie on Twitter and Instagram, we're constantly posting about what's going on and, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, it's cool. So you guys premiered it at uh, L.A. at the L.A. Film Festival Festival. in June. Uh huh. And and what was that experience like? It was great. You know, we had some of the cast there. Uh, So you have Anthony Edwards. We didn't say who's. Yeah, let's talk about who's in this movie. We got an amazing cast. We got Danny Glover from Lethal Weapon. We got Anthony Edwards from Top Gun. (laughs) Victor Garber from Argo. Kunal Nayar from Big Bang Theory. For all those Big Bang Theory Mm -hmm. fans out there, which I know there are millions. (laughs) We have Griffin Dunn from After Hours, and one of my favorite movies. He's amazing. We have. uh, the Dallas amazing, amazing Beth Grant, who is currently on the Mindy Project and has been in amazing, lots she's of been amazing. In, there's fun fact: she's been in five Academy Award Best Pictures. Really? Yeah, she's, she, and she's people, so like, transformative. Her, yeah, she, like you might not know her by name, but um, she's a, such an amazing character actor that in every movie she's playing someone so drastically different yeah. that it, she's hard to, to recognize. And we also have the beautiful to look at Taylor Kinney, and also <laughs> excellent actor, yeah. uh, who is on the TV show Chicago Fire, but. But most importantly, we have Zoe Lister Jones, <laughs> my wife, Absolutely. my writing partner, my producing partner, my partner in all things. Uh, How she, is that working? She together? anchors the story uh, when it's it so in, when it's super intense, and you're directing her, and you know, and you guys are kind of collaborative partners. It's not just director actor. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that we work the best when we're actually on, on set. set, and directing Zoe is like a piece of cake. You know, we're very, and we almost, it's, there's moments where we almost don't even need to like say it out loud. It's like mind bullets, like <laughs> being like tele- telepathically sent from mind to mind. And she's, I like look at her a certain way and she just like knows what I mean. Um, but, but I think we, we struggle more with, cause we're both very type A, strong minded, have all our own ideas debating how it's written and like what idea should we push more here or there that's always difficult you know as we're both writers on it and as artists I think it's so subjective and there's so many gray areas there with how to shape it and what mm-hmm. tonally you know cinematically uh visually and, and it's such a personal experience that it's easy to to you know have hurt feelings or to feel attacked or right. any of those it, it, the writing process I mean and uh, yeah I think I think um we're both like warriors when it comes to, to being on set it's really like a war and and um and so I think and also this was our third um narrative feature to doing doing it together um so I think you know we also have a sort of shorthand that that allows right. it to to be. But it's really confusing at times. Like, we'll like be arguing about an idea and a script, but it's we're really arguing really over like, why to do the dishes. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like it's you can't determine where the line is. And we've had to over the years like set a lot of boundaries in terms of where the professional ends and where the personal begins and vice versa like how does that work I mean it's not like you could go home and then like okay we're not talking about the movie that we're in the middle of making I know well we try to not we we really have been vigilant about not bringing work into our bedroom before sleep like we don't email or go on devices in the bedroom anymore and, and we, we don't, don't talk, talk and we don't, don't talk yeah. about work so we don't, we don't speak at all, all. We, um, yeah we don't look at each other no we don't we don't talk about the movie in business like in the hour before we tr- bed we try not to I mean we still yeah. we still struggle I mean, and especially <laughs> making independent films you know it's like it, it, the workload is so beyond yeah, doing um, everything like there's yeah. moments when we're like we say that and then I look over and so he's like furiously scribbling down notes and I'm like doing the same thing and we're like wait we weren't supposed to work <laughs> you know or like one of us will be like 
uh, are you like doing research right now about like GMOs for Rituals podcast? You know, and then like, and then the next person will be like, uh, yeah, are you? And then, and then we'll like, you know, have to talk about it, but we, we'll have each other's permission. So then we get to break a rule, but it is, it, I mean, it's, it's confusing. It's really confusing. And, um, and we work from home too, you know, it's right. like, we can't afford to have an office. So it's like that whole idea of space, like personal, professional, has completely blended together. Right. So like mm-hmm. I'm constantly like moving around the house into different office areas <laughs> <laughs> to just feel like I'm like, you know, I have some semblance of, you know, sanity. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I get it. I mean, you know, I have an office now, but you know, it's similar in that yeah, we're you guys very work intertwined together. in the things that we work on together. So very cool. Well, what, uh, what's next and what else is going on? We should talk about life and peace. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Zoe's starring uh, in a major broadcast yeah. television yeah. program right now. Yep. Um, it's <clears> called life so and cool. pieces on CBS. It's so funny. I think I emailed you or texted you. I was like, you're everywhere. Like, you're on the side <laughs> of all these buses <laughs> where I look. I know. Well, yeah, CBS has been amazing in terms of promoting the film and, the, and how much they've supported it. I mean the TV show. Mm-hmm. I meant the TV show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, see, CV- this is where see how it all blends together. CBS is not promoting consumed. Um, no, but yeah, it's it's like such an amazing cast, and we're having such a blast. And we just got a full season pickup. Oh wow, um, which has been oh, that's congrats. Cool. Yeah, thanks. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's 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 a dream job. I, I love. I love going and just getting to act uh-huh. <laughs> and not having to worry about producing or writing. So nice. It's, yeah. It's, it's I, I nice. doing these other jobs. Yeah. I'm like, why am I doing what I'm doing? I should, I want to just act like Zoe and go have fun on a TV show, but you only get there when you're as talented and funny as her. So. Yeah. And your co-star, also a filmmaker, Colin Hanks just made his documentary about yeah, Tower Records. Yeah. Right? All things must I pass. I haven't seen it yet, but it's, I've heard it's an things. amazing it's documentary. Uh, it has a hundred percent, positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, wow. which is like wow. unheard of. Oh, um, and it's, it, it is, it's really a, an amazing uh, piece of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what else are you working on? Daryl, what are you working on? I got a, I'm writing a pilot for Amazon right now, which is cool. Oh, wow. And so we'll see if, if that gets picked up to be able to shoot the pilot. There's so many mm-hmm. steps along the way. Uh, so that's exciting. And, and is that one of those things where they, they do the pilot and then they sort of crowdsource the reaction to see whether they go forward? I, like I don't they know do if Amazon's still crowdsourcing the the pilots in the way that they were in the beginning yeah, mm-hmm. basically like Bosch and Hand of God I think yeah yeah, Mo- yeah was, was Mozart in the Jungle like that also which you directed an episode or two yeah ago? Mozart in the Jungle I think yeah I, you know to be honest I can't speak on it officially if if the if if they were doing that at that time. But I know, yeah, well, at some point, Amazon was basically greenlighting their pilots based on consumer feedback and whatever was getting voted the highest. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they're still doing I that. I think it still is happening. You do? Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe. But um, so, yeah, I, th- I think to get to that step, that you have to first, they have to love the pilot that you wrote. So I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm writing now, and if that happens and then we shoot it, uh, then it gets to be right. put in front of the public. First and, things first. Though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can you talk about what it's about? Or Yeah, I can say in a kind of just limited sense uh, that it is about a woman who is literally and figuratively disappearing. Mm. So it's meant to be an exploration as you, we are aging and you feel you know, the ways in which people judge you differently and uh, kind of a commentary on ageism in this country or just in general um and you know how as you get older uh you know the way you feel you know people value you and uh and look at you is 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 different Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. So stay tuned on that. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see what goes on. All right. But uh, until then, everything is we're consumed by consumed. It's all all consuming. And (laughs) as should everybody listening. So uh, that's a good place to put a pin in it, I think. We'll have you guys back on and we can talk about the relationships. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. For sure. Thank you so much. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, that was really great. You guys are delightful. (laughs) You guys are delightful. delightful. We have like a couple crush on you guys. No, we have a couple crush on you guys. You guys. Cool. So go. Go to consume the movie, right? Yeah, dot com, com yeah. and uh, and either attend a screening or set up your own. And uh, if you're digging on these guys, they're easy to find on the <laughs> interwebs, mm-hmm. right? At, yes, yes. At Zoe Lister Jones on Instagram. Yep. Is it the same on Twitter? Yeah. And at Daryl Ween with yep. one R. D A R Y L W E I N. In both places as well. And you're on Facebook and anywhere else you should want to direct people other than to watch. Life in pieces we, as well. <laughs> no, we don't, don't do Snapchat so. or uh, <laughs> or any of that stuff. But uh, I started beaming because of you for a oh, moment. I think I just <laughs> I just watch your beams basically. I haven't done it. I've been I've been slacking off. Although I did go as Casey Neistat for Halloween. You did. Ah, nice. yes. That's amazing. Yeah. You got some beat up Ray Bans. Uh, yeah, I did. I made my own with a with a. That's beam. amazing. So. I love Casey. Right. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, I got to get back on the beam. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, all right, you guys. All right, well, thanks. please. So come back much. and talk to us some more. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, actually I'm going to, we were just, you guys were in Paris just some days before we arrived. Yes. And uh, and you recommended that we check out this amazing restaurant. I just want to give a shout out to yeah. it's Misnon, right? Yeah, yeah. Misnon. M-I-Z-N-O-N. Yeah. In the Marais. In, the, in La Marais. Yeah. So it's fantastic. Yeah. So check it out if you're there for um, some whole plant foods. And yeah. also they have other stuff, but they had a lot of that. So I'm trying to, tonight I'm going to recreate a couple things from Misnon, but anyway, <laughs> we love uh, we're that. very that excited. Great. Our mouths are watering. Awesome. All right. All right. Everybody. Thanks. Thanks you so much time. for having us. Bye. Peace. Plants. <laughs> Namaste. All right, you guys, we did it. I found that conversation really quite amazing and illuminating. I hope you did too. I hope it leaves you with some things to ponder further for yourself. If you like a good political thriller and you were at all moved by today's conversation, please go to consumedthemovie.com, find a screening near you, or better yet, organize your own. And please do yourself a favor. Check out this week's comprehensive show notes at richroll.com on the episode page. I've created quite a laundry list of additional articles, books, films, background, and other materials and resources related to Daryl and Zoe and GMOs. Uh, and today's conversation in general to help you learn more about today's guests and the uh, divisive subject matter. And of course, help you take your knowledge base and your podcast experience beyond the earbuds. Uh, While we're at it, have you subscribed to my newsletter yet? Come on, you guys. No spam, just good stuff. Weekly podcast updates, product offers. And uh, I'm going to start sharing some additional exclusive content there, helpful information, all oriented around... uh, the wisdom of my guests and the books, the films, the products, and the resources that I'm finding helpful in my own life. So go ahead, subscribe. Uh, As for exclusive content, as you know, iTunes only catalogs the most recent 50 episodes of my podcast. So if you want free access to the entire back catalog of the show, all 191 episodes, 
You can do that with my free iOS app. IOS app. Uh, just search Rich Roll in the App Store or on iTunes. Uh, we're going to be releasing a new version soon to overcome any of the bugs you might be experiencing. And yes, Android users, I hear you. We're working on it. Uh, anyway, thanks so much for subscribing to the show, for giving us a review on iTunes. That's important. We really appreciate that. And uh, for always making sure to use the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com for all your Amazon purchases. The banner ad's right there on the podcast page. doesn't cost you anything extra. It's a great free way to support the mission. It really does help us out a lot. So thank you so much to everyone out there who has made a habit of that. For all your plant power needs, go to richroll.com. We have signed copies of our new cookbook lifestyle guide, The Plant Power Way, signed copies of Finding Ultra. we got Julie's meditation program. We've got nutrition products like our vitamin B12 supplement uh, and our electrolyte supplement, Ion. we got 100% organic cotton garments, T-shirts, Plant Power Tech Tees. we got sticker packs. we got temporary tattoos. we got fine art limited edition prints, basically all kinds of cool stuff to help you take your health and your life to the next level. Uh, by the time you guys are hearing this, I will be in Beirut, Lebanon, getting ready to run the marathon. Pretty excited about that trip. I leave on Tuesday morning. Uh, you're not going to hear this until Thursday. I'm recording this on Sunday night, so it's all academic. Keep sending in your questions for future Q&A podcasts to info at richroll.com. We love it. Uh, I've got two online courses at mindbodygreen.com, The Ultimate Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition and The Art of Living with Purpose. Really proud of those online courses. Multiple hours of streaming video content, online communities, very affordably priced. Just go to mindbodygreen.com, click on video courses in the upper left-hand corner, I believe, and you can learn more, all sorts of stuff about that. Thank you so much for supporting the show, for telling your friends, for sharing it on social media, and of course, for always using the Amazon banner ad for all your Amazon purchases. I appreciate you guys. I am nothing without you guys, the audience. I am loving uh, this journey that I'm on with this podcast, and it means more to me than you can possibly imagine that you are taking this journey with me. So thank you, and I will see you back here in a couple days. Until then, make it great. Peace. Plants, I'm out of here. Yeah.